everyone. Welcome to Zonan Canada. I'm your host, Jesse Betteridge. Joining me once again uh, in this episode are a couple folks you may recognize from the last episode. Chris, could you uh, give a quick intro to yourself? Hey, hi. Uh, my name is Chris. Uh, you can uh, find me at, uh, at Kurotsuki on Twitter. I, I've been watching anime for the longest time. I travel a lot to Japan to attend concerts of uh, three like 2D idols, I guess you would say. And uh, yeah. And uh, and Dave? hi, I'm <laughs> yeah, I'm Dave Merrill. Um, you can find me at Terabi Funhouse on Twitter. I have an expert marksmanship badge from the United States Army, and I created the web comic Jesus Christ Conquers the Martians. I didn't know that. Okay. This is very true. And you do. Yeah. Yeah. From high school, high school, by and the way, you, high school. You also control uh, the uh, MrKitty.org yes. empire. I, I am merely, merely a co-conspirator. <laughs> exactly. My wife, Shane Lemanuk. It's a great site. Check it out. Um, so this is our Christmas special. Uh, thanks, guys, for coming and joining me on this uh, festive occasion. Dave, for the second time. So usually how this episode works is we just uh, we talk about some of our favorite pieces of media from the last year. Uh, not necessarily anime. It can be movies. Uh, films, TV shows, uh, books, comics, um, anything of the sort. And, uh, I usually kick the episode off by just kind of talking about where anime in Canada, uh, is at this point of time over the past year and what we can expect for the next year. I'm not really gonna bother with that this time though, because, um, it's pretty, I, I could basically repeat everything I said last year and it would be identical to the situation <laughs> this year because a lot of the stuff that we were expecting to happen in 2018 now seems to be happening in 2019, like that new WoW TV channel, um, the launch of Verve, um, all, all that stuff. It's, you know, we're, we're pretty much in the same situation more or less. Uh, I, I encourage you to go back and listen to the Christmas special from last year. Uh, you may find it indistinguishable from this year because Dave was also on that episode. Um, it's a, it's, it's a fun time to go back to. You can listen to Dave and, uh, Jeff Thu argue about Riverdale. Uh, it was a lot of fun. I have, I have different things to talk about this year. Well, also I've quit watching Riverdale. I just, I just, I just walked away from at it. At least just we captured out. you in that wonderful <laughs> moment in time last year. I think that's really good. It's, it was a yes. wonderful time. The golden yeah. glow. Uh, do you guys have any, uh, any holiday plans? Uh, I, I will be in Japan. <laughs> Beat yeah, that, guys. Uh, I, I give up. Let's just yeah. stop now. <laughs> um, all right. Well, let's just get right into it. So we'll just do one person at a time, I guess. Uh, Chris, since this is your first time doing a Christmas special, do you want to uh, start up? Okay. So my uh, three, the three pieces of media that uh, left a big impression on me in 2018. So the first one is uh, Avengers: Infinity War. Uh, the second one is uh, this anime called Cells at Work. Oh yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> And the final one is actually a music single from um, one of those 3D, uh, 2D idol things I go to often in Japan. It's uh, the third single from uh, uh, Valkyrie. Okay. Um, okay, well, yeah. which show? Uh, why don't we start with that one? Uh, Chris, you want to tell us what, what stood out to you about, uh, about, uh, about that one? Yeah. About Valkyrie? Okay, so uh, Valkyrie, uh, for those who do not know, is uh, a unit or a group uh, within the show Macros Delta. So Macros Delta is a sequel of uh, the re- well, the original Macros, or uh, co- some people may remember it as Robotech. Part of yeah. it was Robotech. Part of it, no, well, part, part, part of, of it was Robotech. Part of Robotech was Macros. <laughs> So, um, uh, Macros Delta, 
uh, aired in Japan, I believe, uh, in 2016. Uh, obviously, because of Armony Gold uh, reasons, uh, the show has not been licensed in yep. North America. However, it's in the pretty cure uh, zone, the, basically. R- yeah, the- <laughs> right. The Blu-ray releases, the Japanese Blu-ray releases of Macros Delta have English dubs. Subtitle. Subtitle in English. Yeah, you have, you have to import the Blu-ray from Japan. You can watch it in English, but, uh, yes. you, you, you pay dearly for it. it. It's, it's a bit more yeah. expensive, but it, it, it's probably worth it. If you like, if you like yeah. Macross, obviously. Uh, so this year, uh, they released a, a new movie. Which was um, a, basically a co- compilation movie of the original series of Micro Zelda, and for that they released a new single. Uh, for because new movie means new music, uh, so that that, that was the, the third single of uh, Vakere, and it contains one of my favorite songs, which is called uh, "Dancing in the Moonlight." And "Dancing in the Moonlight," if you listen to it, is basically a disco song, and and I felt. That, 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 nothing says more Macross, that nothing says Macross more than a disco <laughs> song, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> so that, 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 that's why I really love that single, and, uh, I got to see it being performed in a concert, and it was honestly the most amazing experience at a concert I've had ever since I started going to concerts in Japan. Yeah, the, um, it's, it's inter- it's interesting that Macross has kind of had a new life breathed into it. I mean, you look, you look at the Macross properties now, they're very of the times. Um, they, uh, you know, it, it does the idol thing the same way that, you know, say love live or idol master or bang dream or any of those do. But in a way it kind of invented that as a, as an aspect of anime to it, begin it with. So it's interesting to see it like quickly yeah. kind of coming back and contemporizing to, uh, to, um, you know, be alongside those shows and match them, but also kind of innovate yeah. in, in, in a lot of ways as well. Absolutely. It's very important that it needs to be of its time in the same way the original Macross was yeah. very 80s show. And these, these shows have to be very 2018. No, they, they, they've really adapted well. And uh, one of the things I like the most about going to a Macross concert is seeing uh, the generational, well, not the generational gap, but uh at the concert you will see a lot of uh families oh. as in as in you will see like uh parents who who brought their children like let's say like uh 3 to 4 years old children to the concert and you and you, and you look at them and you're like oh hey those are the people who used to watch yeah. the original you know yeah and, and and they kept watching the series as it kept going on yeah that kind of makes me wonder how macross is, is like a family property in Japan, because Gundam is still, you know, it still always airs in primetime slots in Japan. I think Macross is pretty much always late night anime, but, you know, if your parents were a fan of the show, they're, you know, they'll probably go out of their way to introduce it to their, their, their kids to it. Yeah. Their kids, yeah. Yeah, and I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to, uh, to, I think 2021 is when Harmony Gold finally, the Macross franchise is finally, Macross franchise is finally liberated from, uh, from Harmony Gold, and it, hopefully someone, someone, uh, We'll outbid them for it. Is that is that for sure though? Because I I feel like they'll just like renew. They could because <laughs> that that happened well, last time. The license will like finally expire properly for the first time in 2021. Properly. Um, potentially okay. they could relicense it if 
it's option to them. They they, they might choose, like they might not be that or is it Tatsunoko or that whoever yeah yeah Tatsunoko may choose not to license it to to Harmony Gold. And okay. you know if it's anything like oh, Evangelion, God. Netflix could swoop in and just get the whole franchise. Or oh yeah, boy, um, well, yeah. imagine that. Yeah, or Amazon, wow. uh, sure. and then we'll just sure. <laughs> we'll just never see it get a home video release. But that yeah, that'd be, that'd be interesting. I, I remember I watched uh, Macross um, Frontier a few years ago. I really didn't like it, but I think now that I've become more acclimatized to to uh, to the idol aesthetic, I think I'd be. I maybe I should go back and give it another chance and check out check out Delta. Too. Oh no, I I absolutely dislike. Oh yeah, Black yeah. Frontier. Okay, Delta. Oh yeah, Delta is a big step up. You'd say. <laughs> no, not really. Macros Delta is not is not really oh, okay. good either, but it's it's oh, better so than. This is why you highlighted Frontier. the song so, and not the wow. the actual right. program yes, that it was designed. Absolutely. For, yes. So 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 I I, I got it in the huge fight. Uh, with Macross because of Frontier, but Macross Delta uh, reconciled me with the franchise, and I, and I adopted a new approach to it. Uh, I like Mechas, and I like the music, so that that's that's where I find my compromise with Macross. Like I I nowadays I just go in for the music and the Mechas, and everything else is just in the background for me, you know. That might be the best way to to approach it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> are, are you? Uh, I, I hear Symphogear is maybe a better uh, kind of blend of idol and, and mecha these days. I yeah. hear that too, but yeah, I've never watched it. It's that thing that everyone says they you should watch, but <laughs> you should watch. Everybody says yeah. watch Symphogear, watch Symphogear, but um, mm, okay. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, um, Chris, if you have uh, if you have any other thoughts on that, or maybe we can uh, talk about Infinity War next? Yeah. All right. Let's let's jump to. All right. What, what were your thoughts on on Infinity War? Oh, I I loved it. I loved it so much. Uh, I was honestly very worried about Infinity War going into Infinity War because, uh, well, as the joke goes around the internet, you know, uh, biggest uh, crossover in history or something like that. No, most ambitious crossover in history. I so, mean, they, t- they I, technically I think already just... doubled down on it further when they did Marvel vs. Capcom, which is essentially the same thing, but with Capcom <laughs> characters, so you can't possibly say that, that, right? that this is a bigger uh, crossover. But, uh, but yeah, so I, I think I had the same apprehensions I had for it as I had for the first Avengers movie, and as in there's too many characters and they're not going to be able to handle them properly, but I believe the Russo brothers uh, uh, magnificently uh, managed that by making Thanos being the main character mm-hmm. in a way. So uh, you 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 watch the movie and you you watch the journey of Thanos, and and that that the, the Avengers are basically a side story to the story of Thanos. So it does not hinder uh, the the progression of the movie. Yeah, I find, you know, people have different opinions on, on how you approach these superhero movies or how Disney or Marvel Studios approaches them and the way they're, they're kind of assembled to a degree. But I think it's indisputable that the Russo brothers, um, their style of filmmaking lends itself very well to the way the, the way Marvel wants these movies to be, which is why theirs tend to, I find, stand out. I mean, I, I still think Winter Soldier is one of the, the best of the of the Marvel films, and they, yeah. it, it, that, yeah, I agree. It, it really shows yeah. how they 
they adapt. And, you know, you hear so many stories about different directors, um, you know, having their relationship terminated with, uh, with Disney and Marvel or no longer working on the films. And right. a lot of it comes down to, you know, they want to be a director and, and kind of do their own thing, which is more admirable in the way. But I mean, you can't deny that the Russo brothers, you know, they, you know, their, their relationship with, uh, with Marvel, it just jives and it creates a good, uh, um, a good product. You know, like how, um, John Romita, he and, he and, uh, Stanley just, just jive together and you see that result in the comics right. that they made, unlike Kirby and Ditko, where there's more clashing, which creates interesting oh, results, yes. but it's a little different. <laughs> I feel like these films, especially the Avengers, this last Avengers film, it's a juggling act. It's, it's, uh, you're almost in awe of how they're able to keep so many disparate storylines going while they're trying to move this story forward. And it's, 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 I think the film, if the film does suffer, it suffers because it's got so much yeah. to do. Mm-hmm. It's got, mm-hmm. so, there are so many goals. It's got to check off so many things on this list and it has to because there's another like it's two and a half hours long we've got another film we got to get going so come on right move (laughs) yes but it never feels it 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 never felt overstuffed it didn't feel i mean it felt long but it didn't feel it felt like everything was there for a reason right right yeah i i would still make the argument that spider-man didn't have to be in that movie unpopular opinion (laughs) <laughs> but I'm, I'm biased because I, I went into last year with my I, I believe, Spider-Man see, rant. But yeah. Spider-Man <laughs> was a little. He was like the only comedy relief yeah. in that film. He was the yeah, light was. note. He, he was, was the light. Yes. He yeah. was. He was the the audience identification character, yeah, which is the, what Spider-Man should be. Right. He was the the young young yeah. and uh, yeah. He should always be energetic kid. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. I guess. I, you know, honestly, if and I don't want to derail here. My one quibble with this film is that. Uh, and I don't know if I can, I, I want to spoil something here. Spo- spoiler the Red alert. Skull is in it. Spoiler, <laughs> spoiler alert. alert. <laughs> the Red Skull is back and he's, he's just like the Crypt Keeper. It's like, no, 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 no. You're the Red Skull. You have to be trying to take over the yeah. entire universe. You've got an angle yeah. here, man. Let's, let's be yeah. evil. I, I, I think they just, I, but I, I, I see what they try to do. As yeah. in, because for the past, like, when did Captain America come out? Like the first oh, one, like, like 2000, 2010, I think. 2009 2010 yeah right yeah. so so for the past eight years people have like been like hammering all the time like oh but that's called uh, red skull is not dead he, he's, he's got to be is this teleported something, is this really something that has been bothering that people? was just me man i've seen that a lot like people are like oh yeah when do we get to see him again when do we get to see him again so i i i i, I Part part of me feels like they just slapped him there and be like, oh yeah, there there he is now. Shut <laughs> yeah, up. About yeah. By the way, here's the red skull. Right. No, no. I, what I want in every one of these movies is that somebody to pull off their mask and they're really the red skull. Right. That, I would. You could do that forever and I'd be happy. Because I'm one of those Jack Kirby guys. I I could I could watch uh, Captain America beat up the red skull forever and ever and ever. <laughs> yeah, it never gets yeah. old. Yeah, I, I enjoyed the film, but it it still wound up being a little uh a little overstuffed overall. But I feel like every one of those films is about twenty yeah. minutes too long. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that's me. Mm-hmm. That's my butt. My butt is like, come on, <laughs> in two hours already. Yeah. I, I will say I'm I am impressed with how well they've kept the the fourth. Avengers film under wraps, considering that a few years ago they like announced five years worth of these movies in advance, and now 
we don't really this know is, where it's this going. Is so after. crazy. This is this is yeah. so crazy. Like honestly, yeah. But but I I, I think I, I I mentioned it a bit on Twitter. I I understand why they're doing that. I, I'm pretty sure it's because they don't want to take away from Captain Marvel that's coming out next year. Oh. Also, yeah. But I don't know. I I'm, I'm not sure it's working in their favor. <laughs> I I think most things are working in in Marvel and Disney's favor right now. Just uh. Well, I I just hope like it doesn't take. It doesn't actually take away the mystery because there's such a huge mystery around what Avengers Four is going to be. Yeah, that I feel like people are more focusing on that rather than focusing on oh, Captain Marvel yeah. is coming well, out. I'm next curious year. as to whether or not they're actually going to use um, Adam Warlock because they they set him up at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume yeah. Two. It would be that's one thing that kind of bothers me in these movies, and this is kind of where the, you right. see the chinks in the armor of how the Marvel movies are are conceived. They bring up stuff in some films that it feels like they're going to be using them in future films, but they just drop them completely. Um, the most just disappointing them, yeah. was when they just dropped AIM completely, uh, advanced idea mechanics after Iron Man three, because that's it means right. we're never going to see Modok in a live action Marvel that's film, right. uh, which that is I think right. Is I completely I, forgot yeah. about AIM. I feel like the the further you get into this Jim Starlin sort of cosmic, and we're already there with this Avengers movie, a little bit of that goes a long yeah. way. And it's really easy to turn these films into people in outer space snapping their fingers and blowing up planets, and there's no connection to the moviegoer. There's no, there's no way to feel a connection to those characters because they're way too powerful. And so they need, I mean, I, yeah, I'm not going to tell them what to do because obviously they don't care, but a little bit of that goes a long way is what I'm saying. When they started doing that, when every Marvel comic about 1977, 78 turned into this super cosmic Kree scroll war Avengers thing, mm-hmm. people quit reading those comic books. Yeah, it, it's really hard to keep track, honestly. <laughs> it's impossible. It's impossible. Mm-hmm. And so they, this is where that juggling act comes in where, You've got to keep satisfying the fans who've been there from day one, but you also have to keep appealing to new viewers. Mm-hmm. And this is where Stan Lee was, was a genius because he knew every comic book was somebody's first comic book. And you had to be able to sell that story to a completely new reader. So when you read a Marvel comic from the seventies to the eighties, there's this little text piece at the top of page one. Right. That's who right. Spider-Man is what he does and why he's doing it. Absolutely. That's right. They, they don't do that anymore. They don't do it anymore because they, I don't know why. Because they'd rather not sell comics. <laughs> yeah, that's also about like the, the, the business plan of Marvel right now. <laughs> well, the comic books are a loss leader. Comic books don't make any money. There's no money in comics. There, there yeah. would be if they did them better, but they don't. <laughs> right. If they had a competent business model, but that ship has sailed. Well, it's gotta be, it, it's, it's a mass medium and in the United States, in, in North America, mass media is movies and television. Uh, publishing is no longer, at least comics is no longer a mass medium. That's it's interesting. English medium. Yeah, that's it, right. It has become a very niche medium. I, I think that's one of the the thing that always like fascinated me when I go to Japan is that everybody will yep, read yep. manga. You yep, know? yep, it's everywhere. They, it's everywhere. they got it figured out at the right time and implemented right it time, yeah. in a way that that really works. And again, it uh, like we said in the previous episode about when things work in Japan, they don't go back and fix it. So or change it. <laughs> no, so like, yeah. well. You know, the, the deal with Japan is that it's a lot of people in a really small space, so it's really easy to distribute a comic book. 
mm-hmm. and it's really easy to sell millions of copies of it. Whereas in the, the United States, it's a big country. Canada is mm-hmm. even bigger. Imagine trying to distribute something to all of Canada. I mean, we haven't even like when do they they get the rail like a hundred years of a railway across? Well, no more than a hundred years. But yeah. you know, the Trans Canada yeah. Railway, right? It's like right. when did that go? You know, it's it's been almost impossible to produce a net a newspaper even and get it to every corner of the country. I, 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 yeah, I I assume that the fact that most comic distribution goes through Diamond also probably oh, doesn't that, help. That no, not one of no. the nails in the coffin, really. <laughs> yeah. It's death. Yeah. It's a monopoly. It's, yeah. uh, you know, and you talk to a comic book shop owner and they will tell you that half the time Diamond won't get their shipment right. Right. So mm-hmm. there you go. Well, Chris, let's move on to your third item, uh, Cells at Work. Uh, I only All watched, right. a, yeah, I only watched a couple episodes of it myself, so I can't, I don't have much to say, but uh, I'm interested to hear you. I'm assuming you watched the whole thing. I actually didn't actually finish Okay, yet. well, <laughs> in I, any I, I'm case. thinking like I'm like, Two two episodes okay. from the end, but yeah, Salsa uh, work was was this amazing piece of work that came out. Well, it, it's a, it's an adaptation of a manga, but uh, it's it's a magnificent comedy uh, about uh, the well how your cells work throughout your body, and and it's 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 absolutely hilarious because the there's this this there's this Japanese. Uh, expression that's like uh, gap. I, I, I don't know how to explain it in English properly, but there's like this weird juxtaposition. Just, uh, just uh, wait, I don't know that word. Juxtaposition. <laughs> there you go. That one. Thank you. <laughs> you got it. Uh, between uh, the the violence and <laughs> yes. and yes. the comedy, and it's just amazing. And, and I think that's that's what worked the most for that show because it's 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 hyper violent, and at the same time it's not. It's super charming, yeah. It's super it, charming. It, yeah. it can go from from being really charming to cutting some germ in half, and there's blood it's everywhere. Blood everywhere. This is fascinating. What exactly is that blood? If we're looking at blood cells, blood cells. Walking, what are they bleeding? That was the yeah. Bread. What's coming Big out? Question of I had from the little I watched. <laughs> what, what, what is this substance? You can't think about no. it too hard. You cannot uh, give no. it too much analysis. No. <laughs> So, so that that was cells at work. Um, <laughs> and, and, and each episode, they int- I've I've I, I started reading the the spinoff of uh, it's called the cells at work uh-huh. black, and it's basically what happens in the body of a middle aged man who smokes. <laughs> <laughs> and I had to stop reading it because it was. Too dark for me. <laughs> Too depressing. <laughs> Too depressing. It, it's it's just and it, and and the stuff that like because because I'm not the LTSP person <laughs> and so some of the stuff that happens I'm like oh yeah maybe I should stop eating <laughs> less you know less red meat you know you know that's one yeah. thing about Japan is is when we talk about it being the 80s there is so much smoking happening in Japan. Oh, it's, it's it's insane, but but it's gonna change very soon. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I last went there about eight years ago, and it seemed to be uh, declining smoking seemed or less smoking seemed to be the trend, even then. Mm. But good, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good. The 
because uh, because uh, up until last year you could uh go to uh, a size area and they would ask you which section you want smoking or not smoking yep but i believe uh a lot of those are going to stop offering the smoking section at all in wow. uh, by 2020 wow yeah because they they really want to be perfect for the olympics right oh, oh that's right. yeah that's, that's right interesting yeah. We'll lose that nostalgia trip of going into a restaurant and smelling cigarette smoke. Cigarettes, yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, any yeah. last thoughts on Cells at Work? It's absolutely hilarious, and I believe everybody should watch it, even though I didn't finish it yet. <laughs> well, that's okay. Who has the time for all this anime anyway? <laughs> right. There's yeah. so many animes. Okay, Dave. Um, why don't we move on to uh, to your picks? Okay. I uh, do want to ditto cells at work. It's really entertaining and fun, and it's it's educational. You'll learn something, but it's also it's just fun. It's charming. It's really charming. Now, um, the three things I'm going to talk about from this year: um, Golden Kamui. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh. Talk about that. Uh, there's a film called Hereditary. I'm going to talk about, nice. about that. And there's a a book called All the Answers that okay. I'm going to talk about. All right. And I'm going to go into All the Answers right away. It's a book. It's a graphic novel, a graphic memoir by a cartoonist named Michael Kupperman. And you may not be familiar with his work. He's had some uh, short cartoons on Adult Swim based on his cartoons. He's this really surrealist sort of working in this subconscious method of digging through forgotten pop culture and advertising art from the, the early to mid 20th century and sort of recombining it and, and doing hilarious things with it. Mm. And this is a book about his father. And in the 30s and 40s, his uh, more like the 40s and 50s, his father was a world famous uh, contestant on a show called Quiz Kids, which was started out as a radio program in which they would take they would get children from all around the country, ask them questions, kind of like Jeopardy in a way. Mr. Kupperman, his father, Joel Kupperman, stayed on that show until he was an adult. It made him. Uh, basically world famous. He met presidents. He met, uh, you know, uh, Hollywood stars. He was in a couple of movies. And this, this graphic novel is about how, uh, not only how it affected Joel's life growing up, but how it affected Michael's life, uh, growing up with this father who was this genius or this supposed genius. How smart was he really? What kind of a father he was? All drawn in this, uh, it's kind of a cold style. Kupperman's got a really uh, clinical, um, it's not cute at all sort of style, but it's, it's really affecting. And, uh, one of the, it's, it's the best, uh, obviously, I think it's the best graphic novel I've read all year. Really? It's really, okay. it's really true. It's called All the what, Answers. What did he do on Adult Swim? Were they just, were they like interstitials or did he do an actual show? Yeah, or, like interstitials, yeah. short, short bumpers. Uh, he did, um, Captain, Captain, uh, Captain Marginal, which was a Captain Marvel mm. spinoff. He did a book about Mark Twain and Albert Einstein going on adventures together. Um, which is just as crazy as it sounds. They, they're seventies TV detectives that the Mark Twain and the Albert Einstein is detectives, you know, that kind of thing. Okay. Michael Kupperman. Michael Kupperman. Yeah. He's okay. I, I, He's, uh, this feels like something I should know about, but don't. So I'll, I'll look into yeah. that for sure. Yeah. He has yeah. another book. He's got a book called Snake and Bacon, 
which is a uh, he did a series of comic strips about a snake and a piece of bacon who have adventures, and the snake always says hiss, and the bacon always says I'm bacon. <laughs> And they have amazing I adventures. Google, I would be trying to Google this stuff right now, but I think my computer would like start smoking <laughs> or start bursting into flames if I did that because it's uh, it's over, so overloaded right now. But I will, I will look that up for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the second thing I want to talk about uh, it's a horror movie. It's called Hereditary. Um, it's yes. directed by Ari Aster, and uh, it stars Tony Collette. And I don't know if you're you're familiar. With the Australian film from the late '80s called Muriel's Wedding, but she started Muriel's oh, oh. Wedding. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Now she and Gabriel Byrne is in it as well. And it's about a it's 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 um well it's hard to say exactly what it, I mean. There's a story that's on the face of it, and then there's the deeper story that's happening. And at the heart of it, it's about how a, a, a the fractures in a family continue mm-hmm. from generation yeah. to generation to generation okay. and shot. It's a, one of these slow burn horror pictures that is, there aren't any jump scares. There's nobody with a, with a, a chainsaw chasing you down screaming. Uh, no one wears a hockey mask and murders anybody, but it's absolutely chilling. Uh, there's a super, they're super, I, I'm being super yeah. vague about You, you, you don't want to, you don't yeah, want to give anything I'm away missing. with this movie right. because part of what makes it right. work so well is, is that it keeps changing and it's unpredictable. You think it's going to be one thing and it very exactly. surprisingly exactly. shifts into something else that you don't see coming. Um, I did know. not, I did not see a trailer mm-hmm. for this movie. I read only like the bare bones description of this film. Um, we went out to go see it in a theater. And you could tell half the audience was not welcoming it at all. In what, in what oh. way? And the other half didn't, l- they were oh, bored. Yeah. They were squirming. They were like, what is, what, what's going on? Because people in audiences and horror movies, they'll do a little talking back to the screen. <laughs> mm-hmm. I've seen some pictures where people are literally giving advice to the characters <laughs> on the screen. This don't one go is, alone. Don't yeah, go yeah, in yeah. that direction. Don't yeah. open that door, stupid. Yeah. <laughs> That's therapeutic. Um, no, I'm not, I'm not yeah. Well, it is. It really is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, I don't want to tell people that uh, don't do this in a theater. Don't, please, please don't. Please don't. Yeah, no. <laughs> I, I say this to someone that has done this. Please don't do this in a theater. <laughs> but this film in particular, there's, you're, you're watching the film and you're like, well, obviously this isn't going to happen and it happens. Oh. And it's one of those films where you'll notice something in the back of the screen and then later in the film you're like, oh, that's what that was. You know, it really rewards you. You give it your full attention. Um, if you have children, do not see this film. Oh, yeah. Oh. Period. Hands down. Do not see this film if you are a parent. Oh, wow. Okay. If you are having problems with your parents. Do not see this film <laughs> unless your family life is going along nicely. Yeah, it goes to know. some pretty, pretty dark places mm-hmm. and it doesn't have to work very hard to get to some of those dark places either. It's just like, and it really, you know, I, I don't want to get, yeah, and I, I don't like every family has yeah. its ups and downs right. and every family has like, well, uncle so-and-so did this or grandpa did this and it was a bad thing. And we are still living with the results of what grandpa yeah. did or didn't do. You know, or every family has, uh, you know, a, a crisis or a, a, a tragic secret or some sort of a secret shame or something. And this film is, is, it's, it's, 
like all the great, and this is my opinion, but all the great horror films manage to tap into um, the problems and the neuroses of the time that they're in. Mm-hmm. Right? Like The Exorcist was tapping into this, the youth or, or what's wrong with our children, uh, and the same to some extent with The Omen, you know, like where did this come from? Where are these evil things coming from? Rosemary's Baby, right? You know, they're tapping into the zeitgeist if if you want to get fancy. And I really feel like this film is tapping into into the zeitgeist in that way. Yeah. Okay. Well, well my, my interest is definitely picked, so I'll check it out. Yeah, it's it's um yeah there, there, yeah it's worth I will highlight just without spoiling anything. There was one part of the movie I really thought it was going to go in a like multi level marketing direction. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was, yeah, was kind of yeah. surprised it did. That would have been an interesting, like, honestly, that would have been an interesting direction for it to go as Boy, well. talk yeah. about an American horror yeah. story right there. <laughs> Multi-level yeah. marketing. You know, and, and okay, so that's Hereditary. And the third thing I'm going to talk about, and I was thinking about talking about the Netflix show Haunting of Hill House. Oh, which hits yeah. a lot of the same. My, my notes. girlfriend uh, is was really big on that, and I I remember when I watched the original or the first Haunting film. Uh, I really felt fifties. Robert, yeah, it's, it's very good. But right? I thought this is a very good candidate for a remake because it's a great film, but <laughs> it is parts of it film. haven't aged well, and there are certain things if executed well. Uh, could really benefit from like modern production values as well, or a modern filmmaking approach. So I'm interested in watching that show for sure. Mm. Well, it doesn't really have a lot to do with the, the oh, okay. film. So it's, it's quite a different take. Yeah, it's a different. It's it's different beast. It is about a family. It is about what happens to a family, the horror that happens in the picture. Well, and the, I don't want to go. It's a great show. You should watch it. It's well worth it. It's got great performance. Every character in the television show gets to do a monologue and the 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 camera just lets them speak and it's really rare to see that in a, in a show let alone a, a supernatural type horror show all right everyone gets a chance to say this is who i am and this is also you have two sets of cast you've got a cast um in the 80s when everyone's kids and you have another when they're grown-ups dealing with what happened when they were kids and it goes back and forth and back and forth and again it's it's one of those juggling acts but, you know, it's a 10, I think 10 episodes, so they've got a lot of, there's a lot of breathing space, right? Mm-hmm. Really well made. But enough, like, I don't want to get too, yeah. I was, by the time Halloween came around this year, I was just Halloweened out. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> I am done with this scary stuff. But uh, I want to talk about Golden Kamui for a while. Mm-hmm. Because Golden Kamui, um, I think it started this year. I'm pretty sure it's a 2018. I, I, Believe stuff, so, stuff yes. The anime, earlier yeah. this year feels like it started like two or three years ago <laughs> at this point because there's been so right. much. Yeah, the, yeah. the, the, the anime started in yeah. April, right? So we're still yeah. good. This is a 2018 show. And um, yes, when the first episode started, uh, there was a little good-natured ribbing from the anime fan community because there was a computer-generated bear in this that doesn't look good. Okay, and I can, I'm gonna. I can, I can back you. I can what? back up that uh, that sentiment that that bear did not look good. <laughs> the bear doesn't look. Good. I'm I'm I, I agree. The bear doesn't look good. Um, if you're not familiar with the show, the show is about a veteran of the Russo-Japanese War, which was an exciting thing that happened early in the 20th century when uh, Russia and Japan said, "Hey, let's do this," and Japan kind of beat the crap out of the Russians. And the rest of the world 
sat up and took notice of, of Japan going, holy cow, Japan is uh, there where it's at right now. That's the, the war that put Japan on the national stage. Uh, oh, sorry, the international stage as a as a world power or as an up and coming world power. So our hero Sugimoto, the immortal Sugimoto, has been demobilized um, from this war, which was kind of one of these precursors to World War One. You had machine guns, you had trench warfare, you had a lot of people getting getting totally destroyed. But he survived. So he winds up and he's one of these. Um, this show has been described as a Western and it really is a Western in that you have a frontier which. Uh, is, is, uh, Hokkaido, which is the northernmost island of Japan. Um, Hokkaido is Japan's frontier. And if you have nowhere else to go, that's where you wind up. And in America, the frontier was where you went after the Civil War ended and you were probably had what we call now PTSD or, um, your entire home got burned out by the Yankees or whatever and you headed to the frontier and you, you carved yourself a new life. Out of the frontier. And this is what Sugimoto is kind of trying to do. He finds out that there's a story about a hidden treasure trove of gold that has been put together by the Ainu, which are the indigenous peoples who lived, who still live in Hokkaido. So the location of this gold is hidden on tattoos of a bunch of convicts who have escaped from Abarashi prison, Abashiri prison, I'm sorry, Abashiri. So what he's got to do is find all these guys, these escaped convicts, kill them, take their skins, wow. and figure out where this gold is. And when he's, 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 there's a whole bunch of people looking for this gold, and he decides to search for it along with Aserpa, who's a young Ainu girl, who is sort of going to introduce him to the ways of staying alive in Hokkaido. And, it sounds really dry. This show is so much fun. I, I cannot emphasize how much fun this show is. And it's fun mostly because it has scenes of tremendous violence. I mean, they this is a show about catching people and skinning them. Right. Or where the threat of skinning them is always there. And they intersperse that with scenes of like, well, here we're going to cook and eat this Ainu dish. And it's going to be really delicious. And everyone's going to spend 10 minutes talking about how delicious it is. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's one of the things I heard about this show is that it was a cooking show. I knew cooking it show. It is a cooking show. It is a <laughs> cooking show. A serpa does not want to eat Japanese food. She doesn't know what it is. She thinks miso powder is poop. <laughs> uh, she's a really charming character. She kills a lot of people in the show. I think she's 10, maybe 11. She kills a lot of people because she's a badass. Uh, Sugimoto is also a super badass. There's a whole crew of former and current Japanese soldiers that are trying to stay alive in, in the snows of Hokkaido. They're trying to not get killed by wolves. They're trying to, they're cheating each other. There's a faction. Um, and this gets pretty, it intersects really nicely with, uh, the Russo Japanese War, which is a fascinating part of history that we really don't hear anything about here. Right. But it also intersects with, um, the um, restoration of the emperor and the last days of what I want to say, the Tokugawa shogunate. Oh, it's and, the Meiji restoration. Yeah, the Meiji restoration, right? Oh. So uh, when the Shinsengumi did their thing and all died, a lot of those guys went to Hokkaido trying oh. to start their own 
they tried to start their own country in Hokkaido because that's a terrible idea, but they're going to do it anyway. So right. one of the last surviving Shinsengumi is also involved in trying to get this gold and use it to form his own country in between Japan and Russia. Because okay. that's where you want to be. You want to be right. in between Japan and Russia. That's Obviously. a smart way to do it. Right. But it's, it's, everyone's got their own angle. There's, there are so many insane, they, there's a murder hotel in one episode. Like H.H. H. Holmes had a murder hotel in Chicago. There's a murder hotel. There's a crazy, um, to take this back to horror, there's a guy, uh, what's his name? The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the original Ed Gein. There's an Ed Gein guy who lives out in the middle of nowhere and skins people and sets them up and has conversations with them. Um, yeah, it's, 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 um, spooky, <clears throat> but at the same time, it's like, I cannot believe they did this. There's, um, uh, one of the people, Lieutenant Surumi is trying to catch Sugimoto. He's got, his forehead is covered by a metal plate because his frontal lobes were destroyed. So he's constantly, he has severe brain damage and mood swings, sudden outbursts of violence, but he's got a, he's got a whole crew of people that's following him trying to get this gold. Wow. Yeah, it's just, it's a really entertaining show. Uh, and there's a terrible looking CG bear in the first episode. <laughs> I'm gonna, I will admit, uh, I did stop watching this show largely because of the, the bad CGI animals, which I do understand. Dude, 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 dude that's, that, they're gone. Yeah, I know. Man. And they're I do gone. understand they apparently fixed that in, uh, the home video release. Uh, yeah. They fix it. Um, yeah, you know, fair, fair enough. Um, I have been meaning to check out the manga for some time. Um, there's a whole, the, the last episode we watched is all about a guy who thinks his best friend killed his, married his sister and then she died and he thinks his former best friend killed her. So he spent the last 10 years trying to track him down, wow. tracked him down during the Russo-Japanese war when the guy's half his face was blown off in an artillery bombardment. How do they reconnect? It's this amazing, it's, it's almost like, um, I, I can't even describe it. It's it's television at its best. It's like here's this here's this amazing short story we're gonna drop in the middle of this larger short story. Um I'm told the manga's great. I have not read the manga. I'm I'm kind of like I picked the anime, yeah. so I'm gonna stick with the anime, you know, you right. don't want to read it or whatever. Right. But I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it a lot. And I would highly recommend it to everybody. Yeah. Okay. Uh, a friend brought me to uh I think one one out of the two I knew restaurants in Tokyo. Because oh. you really love the golden gumwe and ah. it, it's an interesting cuisine. It is, it is absolutely fascinating to me yeah. that the Ainu are still there. They're still doing their thing. Yeah. They're struggling to keep their identity in the face of, I mean, when we think of Japan, we think of this homogenous society. Ah. Right. That is, but, that is all in, in cultural lockstep, right? Yeah. You say ha now, but I mean, that's the, uh, yeah. that's the, the general, that is general impression. impression yeah. Japan. And, and there's right? massive, yeah, yeah. And, and that is so not true. Massive <laughs> struggle for indigenous identity it's, it's, there. And it's, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's, ter- it's terrific that this show is on the air. That the anime industry is producing this show that is front and center. Here's the Ainu. Here's who yeah. they are. Here's yeah. what they're I mean, doing. It's a country where mm-hmm. the, the politicians are openly hostile to the indigenous people. And, yeah. Uh, yes. Where, where it's not, 
the passive hostility we're, there, we're used to into the West. It's it, it's we we talk about um, Japan kind of being like some in some ways it's in yeah. the past and in some ways it re- it's in the fifties still. Yeah. It's like 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 uh, segregation in the South almost. Yeah, and uh, Japan is yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's like I'm glad to see that this is it's it's uh that they that this show can exist and be out there on the airwaves and be it's a phenomenon, mm-hmm. you know it's really successful as you said you know people are going to iNew restaurants and there's apparently a golden kamui pop up cafe I think it's running right now uh in Japan oh, that's really what, uh, that's Carl told that's what Carl told me they went to the the Persona Five cafe and they said oh it's gonna become a golden kamui cafe and just like do you, do you get to eat brains okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, they eat every yeah, part of that yeah. animal, man. Uh, yeah, you know. I'm not yeah. that hungry. With the anyway, that, that also makes me <laughs> also makes me think of uh, of Horace Prince of the Sun and how that film was originally supposed to be about the idea, exactly. but they decided to give it a Norse yeah. setting to make it less controversial because the idea of having a film portraying Ainu culture was just taboo back in the, in the late 1960s, and it seems you know we, there has been minor progress in that area, which is is good to know. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a tremendous step forward, I feel. And that is, those are three things that I've really enjoyed this year. And if you're buying a Christmas present, all the answers would be a great Christmas present. All right. All right. All right. Yeah. Well, uh, we'll finish off with my three picks. Um, I'll start off with uh, the one anime I have on the list. Uh, I was, I really wanted to, uh, for one of my items, to go with Night is Short, Walk On Girl. Uh, the film by mm. Masaki Yuasa. However, Yuasa, uh, yes. however, that film is actually from 2017, so uh, yeah. I don't think I can really go with that one. Um, also, I feel that if I highlight that one, I'm going to be kind of boasting about the fact... I, I, I don't want to come off as boasting about the fact that Vancouver is actually the only city in Canada where that one played in theaters, so there hasn't really been a lot That's of opportunities. Right. Right. I mean, we 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 added in... Um... At the film, film oh, festival. Oh, that's here good. Last yeah, year. okay. So it, it showed up yeah. somewhere. Uh, Fantasia? Fantasia. Yeah. Yeah, Fantasia. Yeah. I hate Fantasia. Which is which is a, it's a great festival. I it love is. Fantasia. I'd it's love amazing. to check out Fantasia. It sounds like a great yeah. time. And did you see it? I oh, did not. You should have. <laughs> um, it's like I I, I I I I I actually had my ticket to go see it, but I was sick oh, that day. Oh, oh that's brutal. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah the mo- I won't say too much about it. The movie is just, it's delirious. It is charming. I think it might be Yuasa's best film. Uh, it's, yeah, oh, wow. it's stylized or is, is my favorite of his films. Um, I think it, it's quite different from say mind game. So maybe, maybe you can't really compare okay. it that well. Um, it's obviously it, it's from the, based on a book from the same author as Tatami Galaxy, uh, Tomihiko Morimi. Um, and it's stylized the same way. It follows the same aesthetic. Um, it has a similar kind of um, uh, stream of consciousness storyline, uh, and it has the same Kyoto setting. And I think part of what makes uh, this film and Tatami Galaxy is so unique is that it's um, it's not just set in Kyoto; it embraces um, it embraces the feeling of Kyoto and the aura of Kyoto and the way that it uh, the way that it establishes the the characters and the situations and everything that it, it makes it really that's to me that's what makes it really unique and it is highlighted incredibly well in Tatami uh, sorry in Night is Short Walk on Girl um so yeah check that out when you have a chance it is coming out on home video in January is it one of is it one of those films uh, where the city itself is a character as much as any of the other characters it, I would say so but it's in would a, you say 
it's in a much more subtle way. Like you, you could almost okay. ignore the fact that it's in Kyoto, but I think the Kyoto setting is what influences the the tone and and feeling in the movie. Um, okay. at, at least that that's how I felt because it kind of kind of. I'm really looking forward Kyoto. to seeing yeah. it. I haven't it's, seen it's it. So great, really? I highly recommend it. But uh, instead, uh, out of all the many many great anime that has run this year, I decided to go with Lupin the Third Part Five. Um, as uh, did you guys uh, check that one out? I have not. I, I have not. I I started watching yeah. part four. I never finished it, so I I did, I wasn't sure if I could like jump. You on absolutely part, part can. Five. Um, part four was great okay. too. Uh, it was a. Uh, it came out twenty fifteen. Uh, we got it. We got that one pretty late though, because uh, it it was tied yes. up with some weird legal trouble in Italy. Um, part part four was a really strong revival. Uh, of an on- ongoing franchise. In fact, it was a good example of how to do it. Uh, it kept every, it kept the characters essentially the same, but just c- it was very wise about how it contemporized things. It had amazing animation. It had great music, great production value. If you watched the Japanese version, it had a fantastic opening credit sequence. Not so much in the international version. Um, version yeah, yeah, and you know, it had really strong. Uh, it had a, it had a fairly good uh, ongoing story throughout its 26 episode run. But, you know, it wasn't, it, it, the story, it didn't have quite enough propulsion to really carry that whole series. Now that we have part five to compare it to, it, I'm starting, while Lupin the th- third part four was really good, I'm starting to feel now that it wasn't quite the sum of its parts, because part five improves on it in almost every way. Um, it still okay. has one storyline that spans the entire series over 26 episodes, but uh. it breaks it down into four interconnecting arts. Each one has a different co- uh, a different focus, uh, but it has common themes. Um, Loop on the Third Part Five mostly explores technology, and it's not just you know posing the question so much how does Loop on the Third function in uh, you know with social media. It, the first segment plays with that, but as we move on into the other arcs, you see that it's going much deeper with these themes and ex- exploring how they interconnect with espionage, how they interconnect with um, just regular social interaction or surveillance, uh, how they inter- interact with colonialism or imperialism, as we see in uh, with the Kingdom of Padar. And- uh, and you have essentially a, a, a court tech CEO trying to take over a country in a way that seems horrifically believable in this day and age. It has a, it's very striking the way that it, uh, it captures modern anxieties over technology and also explores how a character like Lupin and his cast, uh, can all fit into it while still, you know, balancing more, more, more traditional themes or going a little more in depth with themes like, uh, like Lupin and Fujiko's relationship. Um, and it, kind of brilliantly ties all this together in the final segment of, of episodes at the end. I won't go into too much detail. I Even if you haven't seen Part 4, even if you haven't seen any of Lupin, um, I think you can jump into Part okay. 5 right at the beginning and, and find it really enjoyable. And if you are a longtime Lupin fan, it just goes, especially in the, the last segment, it goes completely insane um, or completely goes off the charts with the references and callbacks um, because you have... People, uh, people who he's been involved with in past episodes, going all the way back to part one, um, just kind of you're, you're kind of following up with those characters as they are following his his exploits on social media. In the end, it's some really nice. fun segments. You have a lot of contrasting animation styles that come up as a result of that as well, because of the diversity that you see in older Lupin shows is all being modernized, but being crunched together mm-hmm. in one place at the same time. It is, it it's it's a real joy. 
to see everything come together. Is this a 20... 20- is this a 26 episode 20, series as well? 24 episodes. Um, okay. so if they call it part five, despite the fact that Lupin is supposed to get a new jacket color in each part, but he's still in the blue jacket like he was in part four. Uh, but I'll, I'll, I'll allow it because it's, uh, <laughs> it, it's so good. And maybe the best part is that, that in between every main story arc, um, you have individual standalone episodes that are themselves throwbacks to the previous, the styles of previous Lupin parts. Like in, um, between, uh, arc one and arc two, there is a pink jacket Lupin episode that basically has a plot that seems like a recreation of something you would actually see in Lupin the third part three back in the 1980s. Wow. Uh, after hmm. the, in the second kind of gap between arcs, you have, I think we get three, uh, red jacket Lupin throwback episodes and then there's a, uh, green jacket throwback as well. So, so are, are they, are they, um, are they presented as like flashbacks of like, well, here's what I was doing back in 1984 when I had my no, pink jacket. No, not flashbacks. Lupin just decides okay. to wear a different jacket that day. And <laughs> okay. suddenly okay. he's, right. uh, he's in adventures that, uh, that are evocative of some of his older adventures. Um, actually, I think there, there okay. even is a, at least one filler episode that is, I think was supposed to be a throwback to part four because he still has the blue jacket and it has kind of a storyline that would be, you would find it as a standalone in, in part four because it does still have its own identity. Uh, even when you look back at mm. it just after a couple years. So yeah, loop on the third part five, uh, fantastic, uh, fantastic anime. It stands out in a year that has been phenomenal for, for, for good anime. I mean, we've had, what, what have we had this year? We've had pop team epic. We've had devil man. Cr- oh, pop we've, team had epic. Devil man Cry- oh yeah. we've had devil man cry. We've had, um, a place further than the universe. Uh, we've had Megalobox. We've had uh, Planet With. So many good shows. Like, like I. That's right. Planet With was this year. I, I forgot about like, it. All this stuff was like, wasn't that? Wasn't that? Didn't that come out like three years ago? No, it was all in 2018. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Loop on the Third Part Five. I'm gonna pick that as my standout, even though it's not a, an easy decision. Um, right. For my second title, it's uh, an Adult Swim show that aired this year called Joe Para Talks With You. So uh, this is a live-action series that premiered on Adult Swim this year. Um, it is stars and is developed by a comedian uh, named Joe Para. Uh, you have to say he is quite a mysterious figure. Uh, we know that Joe Para is from New York. Um, he did some a lot of stand-up and work in public access TV, like many uh, Adult Swim um, <laughs> fixtures do. Um, but befi- yeah. beyond that, we don't really know much. Uh, for a while, his Wikipedia profile uh, actually had his... They didn't know his exact birthday. They actually listed him as being born in either 1988 or 1989. And their only source on that was because he was cited as being um, 25 in a certain article. So they're just extrapolating. Like, oh, if he was 25 when this was written, he had to have been born in one of these two years. So I... Yeah, it's just gone now. Yeah, so I, I, I found it funny because to me that really presented him as being wrapped in mystery. Uh, Joe Parra, if you've never seen him performing before, he's this guy. He's no older than early 30s. He can't be older than 34. Um, he talks in this really extremely... He, or he talks about extremely specific mundane things in a very distinctive, almost hypnotic, slow, grandfatherly voice. Here is four stages of watching fireworks. Stage one. Wow. I named it this 
because that is what people say when the first firework goes up. One guy might even say, hell yeah. But gradually, viewers will slide into stage two, thinking about fireworks. Fireworks are hypnotic, just like their brother-in-law, regular fire. You stare at fireworks and think about them and the previous times you've seen them. And once this nostalgia sets in, it's only a matter of time until you drift into stage three, thinking about ex-girlfriends. And he always uses this voice regardless of context. Um, if you ever see any interviews with him, he uses the same voice and mannerisms that he uses in the show regardless of whether or not he's actually in character. Um, so he's, he's kind of creating a bit of a mystery regarding whether or not he actually talks like that. And if you go far back enough in like the work that he's done over the years, um, he, he's always putting on some kind of like slow kind of mundane voice since the beginning, but he, it sounds a little more unnatural in his earliest stuff. So I think that's kind of a giveaway that, that he is putting it on and, uh, has just kind of developed it a bit over the years. Anyway, Joe Para. If you, uh, if you do follow Adult Swim programming closely, and if you don't, I don't blame you because it's getting harder and harder to actually see that stuff in Canada. Um, you may have seen some of the stuff that he's done, uh, that he's contributed to the network. Um, he, f- you know, the, the infomercials that Adult Swim does, like, uh, Too Many Cooks was mm. the most famous one, but, yes. uh, Adult Swim always runs these infomercials at like four o'clock in the morning. They're really just short, um, standalone 15 minute kind of pieces. That, uh, that different filmmakers do. And they just, they're just listed in the, you know, in the, in your TV listings as infomercials. So a person might think that it's actually an infomercial running on Adult Swim, but it's really this, this short, this weird, bizarre short little piece. One of them from a couple years ago was called, was called Joe Para Talks You to Sleep. Um, and it's like just this really cheap little flash animation of, uh, of Joe Para sitting alone in his house on a, sl- on a snowy evening. And he rambles about things like pretzels. Uh, he talks about Stephen Hawking cheating on his wife and how Stephen Hawking <laughs> would have interpreted that in the context of, you know, the, the grander universe. Um, cause that's how he thought about things, of course. And he's saying, but why would you still, I can, he's like, I can understand why Stephen Hawking would, um, you know, would think it's insignificant in the grand scheme of the universe. But at the same time, if you find some one person in this grand universe who cares about you, why would you want to disappoint them? So he, he kind of goes on rants like that. He also talks about how much he loves barns and he, and he's sad about like run down barns. And, uh, he goes on about how like things didn't work out for Bernie Madoff. And he goes on about like the Buffalo Bills, all this weird, extremely specific, <laughs> strange things that he, you can tell he thought way too hard about. But that's, you know, that's, that's the appeal. Um, and he's just doing it all in this kind of hypnotic voice that will very likely put you to sleep. <laughs> Um, and that's not, and that's not a bad thing. It's, it's absolutely, the way he does it is hilarious and is so, it's hard to pinpoint exactly what makes it so funny. Um, I like, I like to think of it as kind of, it's a very King of the Hill style humor that he has. Um, okay. That's the, yeah, that's okay, the best yeah. comparison I can really think of. Um, after he did that one special, he did a Christmas special a couple years ago called Joe Para helps you find the perfect Christmas tree. Um, this is actually one of the few you, you can find his, uh, like the infomercial on YouTube 
the the Christmas special is actually one of the few videos that you actually can watch streaming from Canada on adultswim.com. So you can see that there. And he does more of the same thing, except this time it's live action. And he's uh, just talking about his specific obsessive focus, or he puts a specific obsessive focus on different types of Christmas trees. It seems that this special was actually a pilot for a full series that started this year. Um, each episode of this series ostensibly focuses on Joe talking about like really specific subjects like eating at the perfect breakfast spot, or talking about rocks, or talking about the Alberta Rat Wars uh, between uh, 1950 to the present, oh. which I didn't even know about until I watched I watched I, this show. I, I, I found out about that this yeah. year. Maybe, you, maybe people were talking about it because of the show. Apparently, Al- the entire province of Alberta is rat-free. I didn't know that. There are no rats yeah. in Alberta. That's correct. No, yeah. yeah it's um, insane. That's, that's crazy. But, uh, yeah, they, they did a, he, he, the episode starts with him talking about it. And then, cause he, in, in the show, he is a, uh, a choir teacher at a, at a school. And he's talking with the other music teacher who's kind of his love interest, um, in the series. And she's like, wow, that's, in, that's incredible. We should, we should do our whole, we should do a whole musical about it. And the, the episode is them making this school musical about the rat wars in Alberta. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of unbelievable. Um, the best episode by far, uh, it. So these shows are, they're not monologues. They're, they're like, yeah, so, uh, they've got a cast. They, yeah, there's a, there's a full, and, this is a full cast, it's a full production. It's, it's, it's a okay. real show. It's not just, it's not like okay. the original special where it's literally just Joe Paris sitting there. Talking about something with um, with different footage, a lot of it is stock footage spliced in. Um, they still play with some stock footage a little bit in this show, but it's mostly there's a, it is a cast of characters. Like the best episode by far, I, I to me at least, uh, was called Joe Para Reads the Church Bulletin, and in that episode, um, he, Joe Para hears Baba O'Reilly by the Who for the first time in his entire life. And becomes completely obsessed with it, and he just can't resist showing his excitement to everyone he comes across and just talking about it and how great it is as if it's something that only he has heard and, and uh, no one else has experienced. Uh, and he just, like, basically the idea is that he's reading the Church Bolton and he can't, he can't get through the Church Bolton without talking about how great Bubba O'Reilly is. Um, it, it is just so absolutely charming in, um, in so many ways, I I hate to call things wholesome because when you call things wholesome, there's this implication <laughs> that it's kind of whitewashing reality, or it or or it's just ignoring uh or or kind of distracting you from from reality. I would call this show wholesome, but I don't feel that it has that weird baggage that I would ha- usually have with calling something wholesome. Uh, Joe, the, the character that he 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 plays in this, he's he's naive, but he's not oblivious to the world around him. He he offhandedly brings up things like race relations and police brutality and bias in the courts, and you know, in ways that don't seem super jarring either. We've we've been talking a lot about balancing acts. Uh, this is an interesting balancing act. The end result is very subversive. It's very smart. It's very sweet, and it somehow never compromises any of those things, um, which I think is really impressive because I think that's hard to do. Um, and I, I hope that Joe Para does, uh, does more stuff, because um, uh, he has a, re- a really unique style. He has a whole bunch of stuff on YouTube, uh, you can see. Uh, this particular show, um, you can purchase it on, uh, on like, iTunes and Google Play. Uh, it's, it's nine mm-hmm. episodes. Yeah, like I said, there's, there's a whole cast. Um, Gene Kelly, not the 
dead actor Gene Kelly, but he he plays a different yeah, different Gene, Gene Kelly. Kelly. Uh, he <laughs> play, he plays Gene. He's like Joe's older friend. Um, he gives Joe advice, but at the same time, he kind of strings him along with his with his uh, kind of weird obsessions. Um, but at the same time, he's kind of always off on his own world. Apparently, he is like the camera operator on Late Night with Seth Meyers, <laughs> and that is that is really? actually how he and Joe Para met. Because uh, Joe Perra had been on the show and he met the camera operator and just like they just became friends. <laughs> he had him come on his show and play a supporting character, and then they br- and then he oh. went on Seth Meyers again and this they did a whole segment about it. It's, it was really funny, but this is a really unique, charming show, and I think I think it is something the world needs right now, and I, I highly recommend checking it out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Um, and my last item uh, is a movie. Uh, I think. In my opinion, there's, there's no way it isn't the best film of the year. It's called Sorry to Bother You. Um, oh, yeah. Did yes. you see it? Oh, my God. I love it so it, much. I have not it seen it. Insane. Uh, it is the, it's it's the first film directed by, directed by a rapper and social activist, Boots Riley. It is hilarious. It is a scathing black comedy. It has to be the most viciously anti-capitalist film in decades. Oh, my um, God. Yes. And it is all the better for it. I... I, so I knew nothing about this movie going into it. I had not even seen a trailer. This is, I, I had not even, I, I don't think I had even heard about it. I heard my friends were, um, were talking about it at a party and we wound up going to see it. And oh boy, um, that, that is the best way to experience <laughs> this. Um, I, I would imagine that most people who see it have only seen the trailer and know the most basic premise, which is basically black telemarketer. He's in a tough position. He realizes he can perform better at his job if he uh, if he puts on a white voice and like he he basically talks like a white guy and the voice that comes out of his mouth is David Cross, um, who is <laughs> one of the whitest guys you could get to do a project like this probably or the whitest sounding guys you can get to do a project like this, um, and you know by the judging by the trailer you'd assume that oh there's some like weird escalation that happens um, or he gets in over his head, uh, but you know it it safely it stays within the safe confines of what you'd normally expect in any kind of movie uh which this movie does not do (laughs) Uh, no no it's like no (laughs) it goes to like i what i I can't i can't spoil anything i i can't i can say very little about this movie because you have to know very little going in it's just the movie doesn't it just never goes the way you think it will go um yeah it it, it dramatically undersells itself and what it is and what it's trying to do. And that is a big reason of why it is successful. Even when you're starting to watch the movie, you see these elements occurring early in the film, like ads for worry free, which in the movie, it's like, oh, it's so a corporation <laughs> that offers a people up like a path to prosperity or to get out of their current rut through what is essentially legal slavery. Um, and the, the whole way it's portrayed is like frighteningly similar to, uh, to like am to like am- working at Amazon. Um, Amazon, and, yeah. I mean, uh, Army Hammer's character. He is he's basically Jeff Bezos. <laughs> um, and <laughs> and like you you can't watch this movie without thinking about how you hear about the working conditions at Amazon or or um or anything like that. Uh, and apparently he wrote the movie in 2012. I it's I'm sure things have been like in the direction things were modified to sort of match. The, the current anxiety anxieties you you hear about labor or general uh, horrors of life these days. Um, 
the film's kind of similar to Brazil. It has the same kind of feeling of insanity and unpredictability, but I feel it has a more scathing message than that movie does and a lot less self-indulgence, which is a bit of a problem with, with Brazil. Um, yeah. 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 I'll yeah. Give you that. Uh, yeah. But I love Brazil. It's one of my favorite movies for sure. Um, which is a, a big reason why I like this one so much. Sorry to bother you. It, it it's an exaggeration of our current reality, but only a slight exaggeration. A slight. <laughs> like there are moments that are just aggressively real. Like early in the movie, they're they're driving through the slums of Oakland, California, which is it's like a it's a shanty town. It's something that is happening in reality right now, but you don't see in movies, or our media is not updating acknowledge these kinds of things very often that these kind of things are actually happening it's not something you would expect to see in a fictional movie or in a in a tv show but it's kind of laying it bare right there which is um kind of which is kind of hard to take in but despite the fact that the movie is just it goes to very dark places um but and in many ways but uh it always retains its comedy as a foot uh, sorry it always retains its footing as a comedy um, and I think it's even bold enough to have a positive takeaway at the end. Um, it, it gives explicit proposals on, uh, on how to make the world a better place. And that way is through unionization as it, uh, yeah, there you uh, go. they, they really, uh, they really emphasize <laughs> a, a it. A problem we have already solved by the oh. way. Like, we already know these solutions. Yeah. But just please, let's just yes. do this. Uh, and it also emphasizes, it also emphasizes forgiving people who make mistakes or, uh, or um, missteps in and trying to trying to do the right thing, uh, which is refreshing <laughs> um, for for activist media in in some ways too. I think and also um, while I said it doesn't usually uh, lose its footing as a comedy, it does become the best horror movie of the year for about ten minutes <laughs> uh, in the middle as well in a very in a segment that I I can't say anything about, but you'll know it when you see it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think my wife has seen this, but I haven't seen it yet. I need to. I have to make her watch yeah. it again. I think. Uh, what? No, it's uh, sorry. Yeah. Go ahead, Chris. Uh, no, it's, I absolutely recommend everybody to watch the, this movie. Yep. It, it's uh, it, it's definitely like one of the most amazing movie I've seen this year. Yeah, it's and, and and it feels as as mentioned. It's like just so much. There's things in the, that happen in there that are that are so absurd, but at the same time that feels so real. Yeah. crazy. Yeah. Like, I, I, I don't want to give it away either, but there's this one part in the movie where uh, something happens that's not exactly good, and a character gets rewarded for it. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And I was exactly. like, yeah, I could see that happening. Yeah, it all, it, it's highly relatable and just kind of places, experiences that you've probably had or probably witnessed in a in a greater context in a really unexpected way. Um one thing I will highlight about this movie is that it it has to be the only movie I have ever seen that received a home video release in the United States but not in Canada. Um you actually cannot get oh. this on DVD or Blu-ray here. You can rent it uh or purchase it digitally, but you can't you can't oh, really? buy the physical copy. Um which is weird. Uh it there's a weird the distribution rights got divided in a weird way that kind of resulted in this but um yeah. i think that's pretty shitty because it's definitely limiting the number of people who are able to to see this like people aren't gonna rant there are still people who will just randomly buy movies at a store um and you've kind of cut off that market um at first i thought that this would limit the availability of movie in libraries but apparently some libraries are getting it in uh they i guess they, oh. they so are they gonna are they gonna solve this problem are they gonna release it I here i hope so um 
Focus Features is the company that distributes here. Um, I would encourage you to reach out to them about uh, about getting a home video release for it. I just imported mine from the U.S. Um, yeah. uh, you can get it through Amazon.ca, but last time I checked, it was like 60 bucks because you're paying those massive import fees. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. But, uh, yeah, would make a good Christmas gift if you can get your hands on a, a physical copy, but it's harder to, it's harder to give, uh, a digital copy of something like that, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But yeah, sorry to bother you. Fantastic film. Everyone should see it. Don't let, don't let anyone stand in your way. That, and that's, that's the other <laughs> thing I don't like about the idea of only being able to purchase it digitally. Um, like, you know, it's very possible that someone who, who you purchase this digital copy of the movie through, this digital copy of this highly anti-capitalist film, um, theoretically, they could just delete it anytime they want, or make it so you can't watch yeah, it anytime yeah, yeah, you want. Yeah. Or have it mysteriously disappear from your library. So, um, I don't think it's too paranoid to have that opinion. That's the cloud. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, well, we got to wrap up. Uh, thanks so much, guys, for coming on. Uh, can you uh, just state again where people can find you online? All right. So, uh, thank you for listening. It was uh, Chris. Um, I can find me on Twitter at uh, Kurotsuki. Uh, I'm Dave. You can find me on Twitter at Terabee Funhouse. And uh, you can go to mrkitty.org and look at uh, stupid stuff I write about stupid comics. And uh, thanks for tuning in to Zon in Canada. Uh, you can reach me on Twitter at jbetteridge or email zonincanada at gmail.com. The theme song is by Ultra Kleistron and can be found on his album Packet Flood, uh, you can, uh, which you can find at ultraclystron.com. Please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, or your podcast app of choice, and leave a rating or review if you have a chance. It helps the visibility of the show, especially on Apple. If you know anyone who might like this show, please recommend it to them. Uh, see you again. Have a Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays. New, happy New Year. Uh, whatever works for you. Uh, you take care. Bye.